0: And welcome to another episode of the Rabona podcast. Once again, this is Moose Rockwonga, and I'm joined again by Ryan Hun and Michael De Silva. And this week we're going to discuss teams and players who are in the groove. Players for whom it is clicking, teams for whom it is clicking, and some of those for whom it is not. Ryan, Michael, welcome back. Hey, Hey, how's it going? How's it going? It's, so
2: <laughs> it's going for me, not so good.
0: Oh, dear. Well, there's, there's a, that's a disappointed Spurs fan for you, <laughs> Ryan. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. You're chipper, steady away. You're a chipper. Well, you're an Arsenal fan, so understandable. Um, so yeah, let's just leap in. This is uh, this is the theme in the groove. Who's in the groove this week? Who's not?
2: Well, Liverpool are in the groove, aren't they? I mean, they're proving that they are capable, I think, of pushing City quite far this year. Um Whether that's far enough to win the title remains to be seen, but there's something different about them this year, I think. Um, Got a bit more grit, a bit more steel about them. Their midfield were just, they were fighting for 90 minutes and they were prepared to get their hands dirty, which is a side of them we haven't always seen. Um, But yeah, they they look good.
0: It's funny because Liverpool, they've been the masters of the fifth gear for so many years, right? You know, Liverpool could blow you away four goals in half an hour and now they're like the Masters of the third gear, where Liverpool in third gear are better than most people's fourth or fifth. Mm. And they've just got this really fantastic, I think, match control, don't they? They're just so solid throughout the team. Yeah, I mean, one thing that occurred
2: to me, because uh, I was at Wembley um, on Saturday, unfortunately, and, um, you know, when when Harry Kane is not playing well, Spurs find it difficult to win. Right. When Mo Salah is not playing well, and he didn't have a great game on Saturday, Liverpool still are able to win. And I think that's, that's the difference between where those two teams are. Right. um, And why Liverpool are, are, as you say,
0: kind of going through the gears, you know? But isn't something about intensity as well, because Kane doesn't just bring goal scoring; He brings that incredible energy. Like he leads, he sets the tone. And I think you look at Liverpool and, you know, you're a big Joe Gomez fan. Uh, You've been mentioning before and, they have that intensity, don't they, throughout throughout the side? Mm. And they, they, they're they a team that supplies intensity. They've got leaders, really, I know the cliche, all over the pitch. Yeah. I mean, that midfield,
2: Kater Milner is a, a new player, Wynaldum as well. Um, Wijnaldum scored his first away goal in, ever in the Premier League, by yeah. the way. Three years.
1: <laughs> it's great start, that. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I think he scored quite a few at home. Yeah. All his goals have been at home, yeah. obviously. And this one only just creeped over the line, but. Um, but yeah, about that midfield, they, they're prepared to just really fight and there were big tackles going in. And it's not really what you associate with, with Klopp's teams. And I saw a real different side to them. And, um, they kind of, I mean, they should have won that game, but if they'd won 4-0, in 5-0, there'd be no complaints. They yeah. were
1: so dominant at the crucial times. For me, I think the biggest, um, sign is just the comparing the two fixtures from last season to this season. You know, Spurs kind of really blew them away last season in the same fixture. It was 4-1, right? I think at Wembley last It season. was 4-1, yeah. And this season, I mean, Spurs had more of the ball, more possession. And yet Liverpool, I think, had far more chances on goal, which is exactly what you we, we kind of said a couple of weeks ago, I think, where Liverpool are most dangerous when they don't have the ball. Mm. And I think Spurs had something like 60% possession. Liverpool had 40. Mm. And yet Liverpool had
0: 17 shots, 10
1: on target. Yeah,
0: Spurs had a lot less. Can I just say, this is the thing with Spurs, because it was commented before that they didn't make a new signing. And I don't think it's about buying players for the sake of buying players, but there's something to be said for freshening up a squad. Maybe. Well, this is
1: exactly yeah. my point. where well, on the first one of the season, we did it was for me in the last few years. They've been consistently the best team, I think. Spurs as a whole. They should have won the league the year that Leicester won the league. Arguably, should have, not should have, but definitely could have in another one of the seasons. Maybe was it the year Chelsea won the league with mm. under Conte? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know the table doesn't lie to use a huge cliche but if you were going to pick the best balanced most consistent team over those two years I would have said Spurs and sorry just before you but and that was basically my only concern for Spurs this season wasn't that quality throughout the starting 11 or uh, with Pochettino as a coach it was it was to throw in a basketball reference is using the the Warriors thing they didn't they don't need to sign new players but they do it to freshen up the roster, right. to just create something a little bit different, to stop it going stale. You know, um, I was at Jurgen Klopp's
2: first game as um, as Liverpool coach, which was also away at Spurs, 0-0, October 2015. And um, at that point, Pochettino had been in charge of Spurs for a year and a bit. And there was a sense that Spurs were just starting to adjust to his methods and they were just beginning to become the team that that um, that they've become under him. Um, but Jurgen Klopp has had a year and a bit less to make Liverpool into champion, uh, Champions League finalists and contenders for the Premier League. And it just shows you that signing players, the right players at the right time, makes a big difference. Spurs don't have the same resources that Liverpool do. Um, but Liverpool have very much overtaken Spurs... And Spurs, for me, they've missed those opportunities that you mentioned to win the league. And yeah. now this is
1: Liverpool's This is Liverpool's moment. Spurs are in regression. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit from, I would think it's a little bit too soon to kind of make that much of a call that they're going backwards. But I think that not wanting to go too far outside of the, the, the game from Saturday, but I think the stadium thing came at a really bad time for Spurs, I think, where... They could have done with as much investment in that squad or money available as possible. Yeah. There's a you see a lot recently where a lot of players have come to the Premier League and gone to London as opposed to going to potentially mm. bigger or better sides mm-hmm. further north. Mm. And I think that if Spurs had had the money available to go and buy some of the sign some some of the people who they would have been in for that Liverpool were also in for in yeah. the last couple of years, that could have propelled them to like a another level. I mean, it's all should have, would it could
2: have, but. Just to be clear, though, when I say regression, I mean in comparison with those other teams that have taken big steps forward. Yeah, sure. Um, So they're more kind of just uh, running on the spot. Yeah, Um, But yeah, you're right about those signings. You look at Naby Keita,
1: what he would do for the the Spurs midfield, um, Kovacic at Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Um, Even like Mo Salah was someone I could imagine being being a a Spurs signing at the time, especially from, he was, you know, he he wasn't the most salad that he was now. Yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't focus too much on Spurs um, because I don't want to, Um, (laughs)
2: but also because Liverpool were, they they really, um, they were a completely different team to the one that lost 4-1 a year ago. And they were, for me, this is further proof that they're going to push City all the way.
1: Yeah. I wrote something on, on Twitter after the game where it was just, they. This is the first time I can remember for a long time that they look absolutely the real deal. Mm. You know, there mm. is no mega weakness, yeah. really anymore.
2: Van Dyke, by the way, was was amazing. Yeah, um, colossal. Joe Gomez, I I like. There's a little of um, Rafael Varane about him, I think. Um, perhaps uh, a slightly eager comparison, but the two read the game in a similar way. Um, they don't like to dive in. Unless they really have to, and when they do, they can make that big challenge and mm. save their team. Gomez has got a long way to go, but I do see, I do see those kind of signs. I wouldn't be
0: surprised if Gomez has been studying Veranda, because I see similarities. The technique is there, the power, the resilience, and that's what I like about the Liverpool centre backs. These are players that can, they can mix it up. They can have a physical, aggressive game if they have to, but they can also play on the front foot. And you know, the key to Liverpool's style is getting the ball as quickly as possible through the heart of the pitch. And that's the thing I like about Liverpool as well. They attack through the middle. Um, if you look at the Man City actually in Liverpool, sort of, these are sort of very reductive comparisons. City this year are using width and Liverpool, almost by comparison, using almost a crossbow approach, you know, when they counter-attack, it's like down the middle. Mm. Sadio Mane has it, then lays it off. Naby Keita is bombing on almost as a kind of wide forward in those in those configurations. Um, It's very bold what they're both doing.
2: There are ways to get
0: around Liverpool, though, and the, the Spurs didn't have much joy in that game.
2: But Lucas Moura, I think, was the only player that can come out with any credit. And he hit the post. And that whole opportunity came about because there was a long ball... Mora was, I mean, I was sitting behind the goal, so I could kind of appreciate a bit more the, the, the width of the, of the play. And Mora was kind of hugging the touchline. And, um, out of a Dyer were often looking for him with long, accurate, early balls. I think the crucial thing is to catch them early and don't give Liverpool an opportunity to, to organize. And it sounds simple. Just hit it over the top. But Liverpool are the kind of team that if you give them that opportunity to get into place, they will, uh, um, they will bring in the, the, the press and it will be very difficult to beat them at their own game.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, one one major trait throughout Klopp's Dortmund teams and, you know, now he's in he's got that going with Liverpool. It's just how relentless they are right. when you have the ball. Yeah. And it's, and as soon as you lose the ball high up the pitch, they're gone. Yeah, you know. And there was a couple of times yesterday where, I mean, realistically, you know, Liverpool should have been out of sight at halftime. Mm. And in the second half as well, there was another couple of opportunities where they really, really should have uh, put Spurs away. Um, there was that one chance where I think Mane, Salah, and Keita were breaking forward, and Mane held onto the ball just a little too long, mm. kind of killed Cater's run, delayed
0: the pass, and you know, if that gets released early. It's a much better chance. Um, actually, talking of players that segue, <laughs> that do lead the counter-attack exceptionally well, Eden Hazard. Um, and there is a player, and this is a team, Chelsea, you know now. This is a team in the groove. Really great to see Olivier Giroud looking so good. Great to see Willian uh, have another great game, but that's Willian, so he just does what he does. Pedro is resurgent. <laughs> Sari has so much uh, to be thanked for by Chelsea fans, I think, and they just look terrific. They do. Hazard's a class act. I think Chelsea are quietly putting together
2: a title challenge. Yep. I think it's unbelievable in some ways that Chelsea are able to just recycle. They, they can they can get rid of a coach and the next season just become contenders again. I mean, it's probably too early to call them contenders, but
0: look how good they look. It's just great head hunting. It's great recruitment. Now, yeah, I look at Chelsea and I think to myself, that is basically like one of those blue chip you know, headhunting firms where they, you know, they search for a CEO for like three years and they've got like a list of, a short list of people and they're like, okay, it's got to be Sarri this time. And they've brought him in and he's directly aligned, like his philosophy and what he wants to do, the foot wants to play the way he liberates his players is directly aligned with the players in the squad. And yeah. they're just playing. I mean, terrific, terrific stuff. Um And I, I have to give Giroud credit here because he is someone who's been much maligned by a lot of people, but his ability to lead the line for the common country, the combination uh, with Hazard for Hazard's first goal. Beautiful move. Dummy from Hazard. Spins off, receives the return pass, rides a challenge in exceptional mm. fashion. The dummy he throws on the last defender. <laughs> oh. The defender's still looking for him. But, and and then rolls it home. And But that's, that's Giroud. That's yeah. why he's the point man for France.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is turning into a weekly Giroud-Mensch. And Matuidi. Uh, the, sorry. sorry Giroud, no, no, the, Matuidi we're going Matuidi. Well. Yeah. Now it's time for our Giroud and Matuidi section. But yeah, I mean, it's just what he he's... He he always has been like like Giroud. Um I think we mentioned last week or the week before that if players like Hazard, players who like to like run beyond the mm. the striker, he's a perfect striker for those kind of players because he's really really good at link-up play. He's not particularly selfish. Right. And um he's really really good at bringing other people into play and players like Hazard. So often in teams the number 9 can be the main guy. Mm. And actually when you have someone like Hazard, who is clearly the main guy at Chelsea, having Giroud as a nine just means you can just maximise. I think right. sometimes, for me last season, a lot of Chelsea's problems going forward came from Maratta and Hazard not really gelling as much as you'd like them to. And um, I think you've seen the season, Hazard's kind of exploded already at the beginning of the season. And he's just been unbelievable. Uh, he's been know. unbelievable for
2: several years. Oh, yeah. And you've got... Yeah. Real Madrid seem to come in from every year mm. and every year they get rebuffed. Mm. And I think Eden Hazard genuinely loves it in London. Mm. Um, he's very happy at Chelsea and the, the player and the club are a perfect fit, I think.
1: He had a bit of a, was it, he, he had a poor goal scoring season. Was it last season? It was he a couple of years ago. Yeah, it might have been the season before. Um, um, but since then, I mean, he's just, I mean, he came on against uh, uh, Arsenal in the second game of the season and, just change the game, like completely change the game. And you know, when you see like Messi and he's so clearly toying with a lot of the opposition because he just
0: can, you know, <laughs> Hazard has that to his game. Um, I want to talk about, not to be, not to be Mr. Negative, but I want to talk about teams it's not quite clicking for because Chelsea, you know, the Chelsea machine is just up and running. But the Atletico Madrid machine Ooh. is Ooh. really creaking along and is in trouble. I mean, they had a one-all draw, didn't they, at the weekend?
1: Yeah, and they were lucky as well. I mean, well, lucky, they had a lot of chances, but they weren't clear-cut. And Ibar went one nil up, I think it was the 87th minute or right, something. Yeah. And, um yeah, Athletic got out of jail with a, a 94th minute. It was literally pretty much the last kick of the game. It was, from a, Borja. It was a great goal there. It was a really good goal,
0: yeah. Um Borja, the young. What, what's going on there? Because they've bought Lamar, Griezmann, literally made a big song and dance about staying you know, do more dancing than scoring at the moment Griezmann he looked rusty um, and off the pace but we're seeing this with a few players like a, a World Cup hangover you know
2: and I think it might take some time for some of the guys that played in those latter, the latter stages of the tournament to to get their breath back a little bit I mean I'd, I just to go back to Spurs for a second I think Harry Kane should be dropped um, for his own good um I think he's he's played so much football in the last year and you could say for the same for Griezmann I mean you know th- how many games did Atletico play last season to get to the final of the Europa League uh, both Spanish competitions league and cup getting to the World Cup final I mean this guy's yeah, clocked a lot of up are we not a being lot a bit of generous many to, Minutes. I mean uh, I
0: mean Harry Kane I would to be euphemistic maybe rotated for his own good um or rested but look, Atletico Madrid Diego Costa missed a really really presentable opportunity hmm. He did. And we forget they started the season well, they had that great win in the Super Cup, but is there something about the fact that key parts of the Madrid-Eletrica machine are showing signs of wear and tear, so God is not his normal commanding self. It's taken a while, it will take a while to integrate Thomas Lamar into the setup, perhaps that's part of it. But also maybe there's a sense in which people have worked out how to play against Eletrica like, like, Madrid. I don't know.
2: To is an extent. A- to an extent, but I don't really worry about Atletico because how long has Simeone been there now? good few years. Nine, um, nine years, eight years? That
1: long. I think so. It's been quite a while.
2: And he has this knack of regenerating the team, you know? And that's probably, you know, you look at the great coaches, Alex Ferguson. I mean, that's what made him so successful, yeah. that he was able to regenerate that team, you know, year after year, lose important players and replace them not like for like, but continue to be effective. And I, I think these are teething problems for, for Atletico, but I, I can see them hitting
0: their, their stride quite soon. So this is the eighth season. Eighth season. Mm. That You know, can I say this actually? That's a remarkable, I just want to give credit to that club for having faith in him, mm. in their recruitment. And then, you know, they, we talk about a lot of clubs as being projects and that's a horrible expression, but yeah. this is a club that has got a new stadium. It's held on to it's, best players mm. and actually to be fair to them i did see chances missed on that day that would otherwise have gone in and if, if they go one nil two nil up then it's a different but game. they've they've lost a lot of big players as well you know yeah you know you know even going all the way back to aguero forlan they yeah, sold yeah. arguably the best strike in europe three years straight mm. and they got better each year mm. i mean yeah testament to the coach so can I just say let's let's not write you off. This is whoever's listening to this podcast. i are not writing you off.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, there are only four games in, you know, and um, I think that the, the the only worrying thing for Atleti, I, I think, is that uh, well, I mean, we did a podcast just after the Super Cup, and we were like, they look really good, right. and they've added genuine flair with Lamar, and if they can build on that robust defensive attitude and how intense they are and then add a kind of element of attacking flair to that, they'd be really scary. Unfortunately, mm. we've not seen that yet this season. Mm.
0: Can we just go across the city then, across Madrid, and just talk about Real for a moment? Because they've again sort of stuttered into this season. Uh, they had a draw against Bilbao, which is actually, it's no shame. I mean, you draw away to Bilbao, it's not a bad result. San right. I mean. is a hard place to go. Yeah. yeah, pretty brutal.
1: It was a great game, that. there's a lot of good games this weekend, actually.
0: Can I say you know, West Ham? West Ham welcome back glad to see you winning Yarmolenko I told you
1: <laughs> right, I have a thing about Yarmolenko and it's not f- it's kind of well it's not football related but he wears sh- football shirts that are way too big for him <laughs> like have you noticed there's in this era of you know tight fitting shirts he looks like he's got his you know you know when you kind of play just for a Sunday league team and they're all XL yeah he's got that going on
0: it's like a painter wearing a smock you know, like, those, <laughs> you know like early Depardieu movies yeah. when he's sort of sitting in the French countryside with like a glass of wine and a smock you can imagine Pirlo wearing a kind of <laughs> One of those on his off day. Uh,
1: before we get on to West Ham, can we just like go back to La Liga and wrap that up? Yeah, of course. We're, we're jumping all over the place. We're, <laughs> we're like jet setting all around. You give me a theme and I go wild. Wow, that's my problem. <laughs> um, teams who have unfortunately unclicked or ungrooved. Huesca finally lost.
0: Oh, first the defeat of the season.
1: Unfortunately, <sighs> uh, Barca are top after going behind again to Real Sociedad. Uh, so they've been behind in every game. I think they've been behind in every game this season.
0: Can I just have a quick narrow, word?
1: N- narrow win though, right? 2-1. Two, 2-1, one. Two, one. Yeah. yeah. And actually, Sociedad could have got a point quite easily.
0: Can I just throw this in Sorry to Because I know that Barcelona fans you know, will be listening in every now and again to this. Barcelona Twitter, for those of you who don't use Twitter, is absolutely hilarious because it seems to be in a state of perpetual crisis. And Sociedad are a very, very difficult club historically for Barca. But Valverde's record against them is outstanding. what I love about that is it shows Vanessa Valverde's ability to find solutions, to grind results out. And, you know, Barcelona may not have their fifth gear that often, but their third gear, and they've made a lot of big money signings, that's fair, is extremely good. Their resilience under pressure. Uh, Dembele's been fantastic at crucial moments this season. Mm-hmm. Coutinho's looked good. Suarez was good the other day. So let's give him credit. And, you know, in games where Messi is finding it tough, against, you know, a deep line defence, other players are stepping up. And I think that's really significant for them. This this is what I'm talking about with regeneration. I mean, it's not that long ago that Barca lost Neymar.
2: And to most clubs, that would be a huge blow that would take years to recover from. Look at Liverpool when they lost Suarez, Spurs when they lost Bale. But Barca, it's almost like
1: he's, he's, well, say what? Right. I think also, you know, they've lost Iniesta who wasn't playing as regularly last season as he has been. He wasn't as integral to the starting 11, but that is a huge person in the dressing yeah. room and yeah. someone who's been there for a long, long time. And, you know, they've brought in a few new players this season. they brought in Vidal. They've brought in mm. uh, Artur. And they've brought in... Uh, who else did they bring in? They brought in another guy. And they've let a couple of people go as Malcolm well. Came. Yep. Malcolm came. Yeah, Malcolm. And that's it, yeah. And, um, I mean, they had the big win against Wesker. They've not really hit their groove yet, but I think that if they keep at this point of the season, if Valverde keeps them ticking over winning games, and then they're going to, f- I don't think he knows his best 11 yet. And, you know, that away isn't, isn't a, you know, walk in the park. And they've uh, got this new They've rejigged the stadium, yeah. which has added such a huge amount of atmosphere. Like the you, atmosphere was, you were
2: saying that they've dug down to.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they've brought in, I mean, the, um, they had a big running track around yeah. and uh, the atmosphere wasn't good for that as with any kind of running track stadium. And yeah. they've dug, Down so that the stands are much closer to the pitch. They finished three sides and they're finishing the one end behind the goal. But it just it 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 adds so much to it, and it looks like a brand new stadium. Um, But yeah, I'm not really that worried about Barcelona. I think they'll be fine. I just think they need to play themselves into proper form. You know, and they
2: lost Paulinho as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah. and he was you know, no one really expected him to have the
1: impact that he did last season. No, and he popped up with some really important goals last season and he actually brought a really, you know, a different, a very different element to that Barcelona midfield last season. And I think, um, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to take the, take time to Mm. find their, their groove in terms of like real balance this season. But I think their signings have been clever because someone like Vidal, he's used to playing in elite
2: teams with elite coaches. And I think he's the kind of guy who can hit the ground running. He's not one for the long term, but for the next couple of years, I think he'll be just fine there.
0: What's funny is um, when Vidal was signed, the reaction was in some sense, similar when Paulinho was signed. this is not a Barcelona player. Mm. I think that's absolutely the point. There are times you need to put, you know, the cliche bit of grit in the oyster. You need that because if people set up against you a certain way and they know how to predict you, like teams sit deep, they know they'll try and pass through you. Mm. But if you've got, let's be brutal, cool, a battering ram like Vidal <laughs> or someone like Paulinho that will run beyond you that won't, wait for you to play you know three touches whatever he'll just he'll just charge down the middle you you need that kind of player to disrupt what other teams are doing.
1: Mm. Yeah. And they brought two young midfielders as well, which, which makes the Vidal signing so clever, I think, because, you know, he's the kind of player that uh, will really, really benefit those people, you know, and someone who's played, you know, with so many great players in his career mm. in
0: two different, three, well now, three different leagues or four different leagues even he played. We forget actually that you sign players not just to play, but for the training ground. Mm. And Vidal will give players and in training different types of challenges. Yeah, that's, that's essential as
1: well. That's what the Ibrahimovic signing at Man United was so good you know even though he what he only they only really got like a season and a half out of him really um but having him around for those young players for like Lingard and Rashford and mm. and when Pogba came in abs- that was absolutely massive and it was just you know beyond what he could have done on
0: on the pitch talking of i mean sorry to jump across on this it's me it's me sorry i apologize to listeners it's me this week that's getting travel happy so <laughs> I've, I've, I've dragged us to spain now i'm dragging us to italy because i want to talk about someone else who was not only a huge dressing room presence, but who has now started scoring for his new club, Juventus, and that's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's mm. off the mark with a one-yard volley, <laughs> and the second goal. Oh, that was nice. was brilliant. Yeah. Listen, hey, the, the yeah. second goal was interesting because you know Ronaldo he scored twice against Sassuolo, uh, a t one win. First goal, you know, poacher from close range. The second goal, beat his man for speed. Vintage Ronaldo, and then you know peeled away and then like left, I think left for finish course yeah, the keeper. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And Across I was like, key, okay, yeah. this man is in the groove. And the way they celebrated with him is interesting because obviously he's someone who they have a lot of faith in. He's someone who they know needs to be loved. So the entire team piled on for the goal. And of course the pressure. He's clearly someone who demands a lot of himself in training. Um And yeah, they're up and running. You yeah, think. but also I think that, uh, you know, they let Higuain Igu- go
1: who scored a lot of goals for them. So mm. from a purely football point of view, they really need him to start scoring, mm. you know. Um So I think it's a little bit more than just... uh oh yeah isn't it great that Cristiano scored it's like actually they need those goals right um, right for sure I think uh, people maybe underappreciate just how good Higuain has been the last few seasons for Napoli and for for Juve I'm actually uh, really into this Juve team I quite I quite I think they're, 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 Chesney and goal che- well yeah I mean Take my money, take <laughs> all my money, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the only downside, obviously, on, on from the juve Sassuolo game was the Douglas Costa. Oh man, that thing, was Which was ugly. pretty grim, yes. actually. He spat in his mouth? Yeah, well what, well, what happened was they'd been kind of, it was him and I think it was Di Francesco. They'd been going at it. They'd been other. going at it. And yeah. Di Francesco, I think, had crossed the ball in for the Sassuolo goal. And I think uh, Costa had left one on him a little bit and yeah. he got, and Di Francesco got back up and Costa actually could have been sent off for what he did before the the spitting mm. thing, which was it's kind, a of, kind of threw an elbow. Up. Yeah, Yeah. But it wasn't just a nudge. It was a bit of a swing. Mm. And then, um, they kind of started having words. And then from pretty much point-blank range, he just spat in the guy's face. Yes, yeah, gross. And the ref didn't actually see it initially, booked him. And I think it was a VAR thing was VAR, that then got yeah. him sent
2: off. He could have a, a lengthy ban for that.
1: Yeah, and he released this... Uh, did you see his apology that he released? Hmm. So he released an apology on Instagram, which basically apologised to everyone apart from Di Francesco. So he apologised to the fans, the players, and yada, yada, yada. But I don't think he actually mentioned the player in question. Mm. So I, the only thing I thought at the time was that it was such an extreme reaction that I wonder if DiFrancesco Francesco said something, you know, when you just see a player kind of like go, you know, I wonder, I'd be interested
0: to, if just to hear if anything more comes out about what what, was, what was said. Yeah. I'm always interested. It's funny. I'm always interested in players that snap on pictures because so much is said. Like, you know, Mm. we, we, even at the level we played at, people are always talking, always going at it. So Mm. for a professional player that's come through their entire career to go off like that in a moment and jeopardize so much, it's always interesting to analyze. And Douglas Costa isn't, not the most volatile of characters, is he? I don't recall him being particularly. He's not the most zen either though, to be fair. It's funny because the inconsistent winger, um, has really been shown up in previous years because you had players like obviously Bale, you know, when he was a winger, just delivering every single week. And Luis Figo, he's a kind of throwback Douglas Costa to the times when you could only re- really rely on a winger one game in three. Mm. You know, Ceviche was like that to an extent when he played <laughs> as a wide forward, Ceviche would disappear for like months at a time and then yeah. turn up in May and then just win everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but just to return to the the sunnier side of that game, um, I want to ask you guys about Ronaldo. I mean, he's 33 now. Right. Um, not sure how just long. Just his prime. Is, is it, is it two, two year deal? I don't know, actually. Yeah, two or three years. I mean, do you guys think that he can stay at this level? Because for me, it looks as good as ever.
1: I think. I think it was a very, very smart move. Yeah, to go to Juve. There were very few clubs that I think he could have gone to. I think now it becomes a little bit more of like stat stuff with mm. Ronaldo. It's like keeping up that goal scoring record. Yeah. And I think maybe PSG was another club that he could have gone to. Mm. And the gap between them and the rest of the league is is
2: Ronaldo, Neymar, and Mbappe. <laughs>
0: Who would have taken, the, who, would, who takes the penalties? You'd need three footballs. Cavani.
1: you need three penalties. <laughs>
0: yeah. you need three footballs. But I would say with, um, with Ronaldo at Juve, I think it's perfect because, you know, Serie A is still a competitive league. Yeah. Mm. It's still a competitive league. Juventus is a great team. There's a good mix of youth and experience. Older heads like Blaise Matuidi, who I love very much. Uh, and, the, and the younger generation. Players like Pjanic as well. And what's really exciting is they'll put together a really strong Champions League campaign again. Mm-hmm. It's such a great platform for it because he can enjoy his games in the weekend. I don't think he would have enjoyed PSG much because Ronaldo is a fantastic player. And if he'd wanted to just go and score a sackful at a club which is uncompetitive, he would have gone anywhere. He could have gone to yeah. China or wherever, but he He's undoubtedly
1: the main man at Juve as well. And I right. think that, yeah. you know, yeah. as you've seen with Neymar, who moved to PSG to be the name, we've covered this a million times.
0: But I want to respect Ronaldo for challenging himself because yeah. it is a big move for him. He he has done something a bit brave. Mm. You know, it's like when you've sacked off a major rock band and started a new project by yourself. Like he's done that. He hasn't just, he hasn't rested on his laurels.
1: And he really could have stayed at Real. There was no real, I mean, I think it was probably a relationship point which is why he eventually left and like when sid was on the podcast sid Lowe, and he was saying that you know i don't think he ever felt massively loved at real whereas right. when he scored that goal against juve and they applauded him he was and sid said i wonder if this means he's going to go to yeah it juve seemed like that some was point a big moment yeah him. Um, should we take a quick break and then come back yeah why not why not
0: It seems the mighty have fallen this week. Watford have lost their unbeaten record. Oh, don't! Well, listen, Watford been terrific so far this year and lost United two one, Manchester United two one. Troy Deeney had a surprisingly quiet game given his physical strength and given the fact that he is often very vocal about the weakness of some of his opponents. But Chris Smalling handled him really well and scored a fantastic goal. Maron Fellaini continuing his fine form for the World Cup. You know. Mario Fellaini is a player I compared to um, Ambrosini from AC Milan a few years ago and was widely mocked for that comparison. But I think it's a comparison that's Rightly standing up. so. <laughs> I think actually, hey, look, Fellaini's performance against Brazil and Fellaini's performance against Watford, screening the back four, clean, simple distribution, not particularly imaginative, but, you know, effective. And arguably alongside David De Gea, United star player.
2: And he made a crucial contribution he from a it. set piece, yeah, which... Um, Ryan has suggested has uh, been stolen from Cardiff.
1: Yeah, Man United (laughs) is stealing Cardiff set pieces. I've got a problem with this. Neil Warnock is not being...
0: Acknowledged as the tactical playmaking coach. Coach I apologise to Neil Warnock for this act of culture appropriation? <laughs> We're sorry that we've stolen your routine wholesale. Uh, he, he, he probably wouldn't mind. He probably wouldn't mind. He'd be flattered. Um,
1: but I thought this game was like a tale of two Uniteds. It was like first half Old United get the job done two 0 up, no fuss away at Watford. Second half was very much New United. Yeah, and uh, Watford very, very easily could have got a point right and um yeah they were really under the cosh second half united actually like we I, th- I thought it was a really fun game as a neutral it was a very entertaining game it was kind of crazy mm. um and there seemed to be a lot uh united were just getting rid getting the ball mm. away at points because they were under quite a lot of pressure mm. we for were keeping the ball a lot around united's outside united's box
2: do you think Mourinho has um has reacted to the criticism that he came under after the defeat to Spurs. I mean, we talk about old United, New United.
1: Do you think he's really gonna change his methods? I don't think Mourinho gives enough of a whatever to let criticism change his approach, but I think on a I think it maybe hurts him on a personal level more than he lets on. But you look at the best coaches and they adapt over yeah. time, you know? They see
2: the game moving forward. They realise their their way of thinking is outdated, and they change it. Um, and I think Mourinho. I mean, we've talk, we spoke. We dedicated a whole podcast to him mm. recently. Um, but I think he is in danger of being caught out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm, but they've responded really well from the Tottenham defeat. Um, oh, yeah. you know, two tricky away games, and you know, come well, out is, with two wins. And exactly, and this is what
2: wow. I
0: mean. I, I I feel like something changed. Yeah. I think he's returned to established methods. So if you look at the two wins, Burnley were not the best, but he you know played through them pretty well. The the, the win against Watford the football was not especially fluid. The goals came from set piece situations. United's build-up play is still extremely slow and that's a, that is a problem unfortunately. Nemanja, Ma- Nemanja Matic and Marouane Fellaini in the same midfield gives you a certain degree of control, solidity, whatever you call it, resilience, but it doesn't give much in terms of imagination. Pogba, unfortunately, I awarded a 7 out of 10 of my match ratings only because I feel like at his best he was transcendent, but at his worst, when United needed match control in the second half, he let the game slip mm. and I That's gave him a 7 overall. That, that makes sense. I mean, I loved some of his long passing. I mean, Pogba's I sh- vision is extraordinary. Sorry to cut in. I should clarify. That's probably because I'm not a Man United fan
1: and I was right. just enjoying the whole... The whole spectacle of what was going course, on. And yeah. I,
0: I definitely acknowledge that he probably wasn't anywhere near as good as I thought he was. You know? United's biggest concern must be Alexis Sanchez, not because the fact that he's not playing really well, which is a problem, but of what he represents. He represents the fact that he's a player in whom substantial amount has been invested and looks to be not only far off the pace, but out of sync with what they're doing. And if you look at Sarri and Klopp and Guardiola, the most harsh indictment. Of Mourinho at the moment is that all the players they've bought have become significantly better and integrated and Sanchez looks out on a limb and it's not quite clear at this point exactly why he was acquired. I think I would
1: probably sympathize a little bit with Mourinho here though because I think Sanchez is quite a hard guy to coach. He's very instinctive and he doesn't really seem to click within a, a, an organised attacking structure but saying that I don't think United really have that at the moment not into the same level that uh, Liverpool do and Manchester City do he, there was a lot of problems when he was at Arsenal in terms of um, he would stifle a lot of the fluidity, the attacking fluidity but then at the same time he would pop up with really important goals get them out of jail quite a lot and he would basically do nothing for the rest of the game but then he'll pop up with a really important assist and actually it was kind of similar at Barcelona I think that he was
0: more of the kind of joker in that system I actually would give Guardiola more credit for that because Guardiola had him as a defensive number nine so he gave him a fixed point and that was brilliant because you had with him as the fixed nine. He had a defined responsibility. So Guardiola actually was counterintuitive and said, "You're going to play through the middle. This is your role. People will move off you." And actually, the reason why that didn't quite work at Barca was because his finishing was bad. The, that's the thing. The only thing that stopped Alexis Sanchez from being a truly outstanding player for Barcelona for several years was the finishing. That's almost the tragedy. You know, and Barcelona actually, this is a separate point, haven't had you know a truly great nine since Villa, who was even a wide forward. Anyway, but on, an, but on another tap, because I don't want to keep too United focused on this podcast, I'm going to jump across the city again to Manchester City, because we're in danger, I think, because they're so brilliant, of overlooking them. And they look pretty fearsome for certain periods against Fulham, who are a good side, but they kind of blew them away. Mm. Sterling, looked back to his best. Um,
2: Bernardo Silva, I mean, he's such an impressive player. He was so crucial to Monaco on their, their amazing run. And there's a sense that City are just kind of, they know how to do this, you know. They've been there before. Whereas Liverpool, they're probably their biggest rivals this year. There's still that feeling that they're getting there. City are there. They know who they
1: are. Yeah, I still think City are the team. Yeah, they've got to be the team to do. um, There's too much intelligence in that team and there's too much technical ability. Yeah, perhaps City's or
2: Guardiola's biggest issue is going to be getting... All of those attacking midfielders' game time, you know, Mares, for example, um, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but it's not good to have a player as talented as Mares sitting on the bench during a away. Well, I think like
1: Champions League starts this week, and I think the group games for them will be prime time to um, rotate. And
0: also, here's the thing: don't forget how long Bernardo Silva had to bide his time last season. You know, he spent a lot of time on the bench. Gundogan sitting, waiting the wings. I just think with City, Guardiola has got them all to buy into the collective. Mm-hmm. You know, Sane came in, scores the opening goal after all the criticism he's received, Mm. made a great run uh, for that finish. And, you know, they're just interchangeable at this point. The thing with City is this title race will come down to the decisive big clashes because, Mm. frankly... A team that creates as many chances as they do, and not just chances, but high quality chances, I mean like driven across a six yard box, cut back, a team that does that that often is not going to drop many points. I think it will
2: come down to those big clashes, but this is where I think Liverpool might have the edge because Klopp knows how to beat Guardiola. He did it in Germany. And I mean, last season's Champions League games were were classics. Um... And there's only one coach in world football that gets under Guardiola's skin, and Klopp knows how to do it.
0: Can I give a shout to West Ham, by the way, before we begin to wrap up? Only because they've had a really tough time of things, and it's always nice to celebrate positives when you get a chance. And I'm just really happy to see West Ham getting that win with you know three three lovely goals actually against Everton. Yeah. yeah, I mean, money doesn't always buy you happiness. And West Ham has spent a hundred million,
2: but it's who you buy. I'm not sure their recruitment was the best, but they are starting to to click. And yeah, we mentioned Yarmolenko earlier. I thought he was he was excellent in that game. If it wasn't for the rise of Jadon Sancho at Dortmund, I think they would have kept hold of Yarmolenko Jan- because he was um, he was impressive for them last year, certainly in the first half of last season. Mm. Actually, he got another assist on on the weekend Sancho yeah he he did and he's getting better every week um he came I feel like I sing his praises every week but there's good reason I mean he's uh he's gone to Dortmund he's taken a big risk and he's um he came off the bench and at a time when the game was okay, Dortmund were drawing 1-1 with Frankfurt at the time and he, he a fantastic piece of skill to just create some space and perfect cross to the far post and, yeah, it was great. and wolf um, scored and that was a crucial goal in that game and Sancho yeah I mean it's kind of a little bit of Raheem Sterling about the way he plays but I think Sancho has more end product to his game than Sterling did at his age and yeah I'm as an Englishman
1: quite excited by what he's doing. Paco scored on his debut as well for Dortmund came off the bench. pac Yeah. <laughs> a really really good player actually. Yeah. He seems to be a popular guy there already I think yeah. that's going to be a really good, good signing and actually all, elsewhere in Germany. Reese Nelson got a goal in his debut for Hoffenheim. A lovely uh, goal it was too. To equalise in the, what, 87th minute and then they yes. still managed to lose to Fortuna Dusseldorf. Yeah, his first two touches in the Bundesliga
2: and the second one was a goal on from Arsenal, of course. Um, yeah, it's good to see young English players going over to, to Germany and getting that game time and I think we're going to see that trend
0: continue. Can I just say shout out again to a man who's been in the groove for many, many years, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. 500 goals now. And scoring it almost as a flying karate kick. It was kick. a roundhouse, right? Yeah, a roundhouse <laughs> kick. Yeah, extraordinary, yeah. Yeah, he's joining a, an exclusive club there. Who else is in it? Ronaldo, Messi. Yeah. Of active players. Right? active right. players to score 500 goals. That's it there, right? That's it. That's yeah. a hell of an achievement because let's not forget that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has played for parts of his career as almost a kind of withdrawn nine. So when he was at Juve, for example, was really a point man and wasn't getting the three balls back, he still had a lot of pace, mm-hmm. was being used almost as a kind of pivot man to feed on rushing strikers. So mm. that, that's a big achievement. Uh, what are you looking forward to this week, guys, before we go? I'm just enjoying the three points, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look any further ahead these days. Musa the hasn't does. taken his sunglasses off since uh, Saturday <laughs> evening.
1: <laughs>
2: PSG versus Liverpool. Or Liverpool versus PSG. Yes. Obviously, all the talent on the pitch, but Klopp versus Thomas Tuchel. I think it's really, uh, it's really interesting. Mbappe versus the new Varane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I may have made that comparison a week too early. Um, Can I just say, no, I I really like that comparison because can I say on this podcast, one thing I love about it is the way that you can look at players who are doing great stuff now, but the ones who are coming through. And I think it's really important to the next generation of who's coming through. So yeah, yeah. Mbappe, Gomez, And you're not
1: saying they're the same level yet, just to clarify, because you know, why not? Let's go for it. All right. Yeah,
2: absolutely not. Um, just to um, go back to Klopp versus Tuchel, I mean, Tuchel actually had a better record at Dortmund than Klopp did. I mean, Klopp joined under different circumstances, had to rescue the team and bring them back to to where they should be. Um, but Tuchel, perhaps an underrated coach, and I think bringing those two together again, I mean, of course they met each other when Liverpool... Last time was when Liverpool played Dortmund, that f- amazing 4-3 game in the Europa League. Mm. Um, yeah, Klopp on that r- time round, but
0: it could be really interesting this time.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think that's going to be the pick of the week, that one.
0: Yeah. Is that you too, Ryan? I'm on board. Well, team, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Thank you so much for discussing who's in the groove and who's not. Thank you so much to listening to our podcast once again, all you listeners out there. You can find us on all social media platforms at Robonamag. Check us out on Acast as well, and we'll see you again next week.